understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. The resistance. You're listening to the Oh Hell Yeah Show. Hosted by TJ Hale. We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. It's a trap. Welcome everybody to the Oh Hell Yeah Show. You probably recognize my guest. She goes by Tommy. She used to go by Tommy Lauren, but you're kind of like just a first name thing now, right? You like well, it's the name of my show, so yeah, it helps. So, I have a unique first name, so it's it's memorable. But I mean, it's official. You're like the Madonna and Beyonce, you know, if, if they were contributing to society. You're just, you're Tommy. Well, te- don't say Beyonce, because the beehive, you know, they can still hear. They, they, they don't soon forget when you come after Beyonce, so. Can, can I tell be you, prepared like. prepared, because you will get bees all over your social media if we even touch her. If we live in the same world, like, you know, we live in this world where you can basically get $300 a head, literally, for your offspring of the local Planned Parenthood on your taxpayer dime. But as soon as you go after Beyonce, that's when you're in trouble. Like, what's going on here? What kind of upside down world do we live in? Well, you know, when you go after the underdog, which is Beyonce, you know, things get a little hairy. I, I think that, you know, before Kanye had to defend her, now he, she's got a legion of fans that have to defend her because she's just not doing well enough in media entertainment. She needs a lot of people to come to her rescue because apparently, how dare I, being, you know, the notable name I am, how dare I demean Beyonce. I'm sure that she really lost sleep over it. If I, I heard uh, on someone else's show, they have this Pierce Morgan soundbite when Ben Shapiro's on the show, and he's like, how dare you? How dare you? I just wish I could play that all the time. So what you just said, how dare you insult someone who's as struggling as much as Beyonce to stay mainstream? Uh, so here's my question about that. You were on with a guy named Charlemagne the something. The God. And yeah, yeah, that was him. And you were on Harvey Levin's show. And what really bothered me about Harley, Harvey Levin is he had this long, long expose in the New Yorker, one of those articles. I mean, so long that like, I remember getting to the, my mental brain was at the like 3000 word point without checking. I'm like, this thing, I'm only halfway through this. Like, this is like Matt Walsh got stuck on a desert island somewhere and just started doing stream of consciousness. But it's all about how much pride he takes in taking down people who have this facade, this paparazzi facade. They fake their social media. They fake their media appearances. They call Harvey's people to tell them where they're going to be and then pretend like they're surprised when they get there. And I'm thinking, shouldn't that apply to everyone? Like, shouldn't that apply to politicians and people like Beyonce? Oh, and by the way, this whole thing where he, there's this narrative that like the Black Panthers, and this is my only criticism of that appearance, is when he starts with the Black Panthers were planting trees and educating children and catching butterflies and like searching for rainbows. And you, Tommy, come along and say these horrible things about people in the organization. Like, isn't that the worst place to start that conversation, considering the things they were actually involved with? He said, that's not what they're about. Well, they try to whitewash the Black Panthers, and then people point to me and they say, well, Tommy, if you want to know the real story about the Black Panthers, watch the PBS special. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, you're right, because PBS, there's no way that they're biased. There's no way that they would whitewash the Black Panthers, because we know that the PBS is the be-all, end-all of the political conversation, right? 
And I always tell people when they talk about the Black Panthers, again, I will say it for those that have not heard my message clearly. I am not saying that everything the Black Panthers did was negative. I'm sure they did provide education, free lunches. That's all good and well. That does not take away what they did to cops. That does not take away what they did to each other, by the way, which is something that they don't like to discuss what happened to the Black Panther detractors. But how dare I, as a white person, ever make mention of that, right? That is exactly what I'm talking about. And I didn't with Charlotte. And I didn't really hear that. I'm like, like, take a guy like David Horowitz who talks about being a dyed in the wool communist who helped these guys get into, like he bought them a civil, like a library, an old rundown library and made it their community center and then found out they were running illegal criminal activities out of it. And then he had his friend get hired to do their accounting. She showed up dead. And I think her name was Betty Van Patten. And then you have the guy, one of the co-founders coming out later, I think it was Huey who said, or maybe it was Eldridge Cleaver saying that if they had gotten their way, there would have been a Holocaust in the United States of America. And Harvey Levin or Levin, whatever, wants to start by saying, you know, that's not what they were about. They were just a, they were just good people doing good things. And so that's this whole narrative. And this is what I, drives me crazy about progressives. It's what they wanted to set out to do, not the things they actually did that we need to focus on. And then you've got Beyonce. I saw Louis Farrakhan is offering to give her protection so she doesn't have to use cops. Like, does she forget that Malcolm X was killed by black Muslims? Like, I, I just, I, the irony is, makes my head spin. Like, that's not going to end well. Well, they, people keep telling me as well that how stupid I am and how I need to get a history lesson. And they tell me my favorite thing, and I've quoted this many times, is because I think it's hilarious. They tell me that I am a racist cracker. A racist cracker in the same sentence, and then they tell me how stupid I am. Meanwhile, they can't string a sentence together to save their lives. And all they can do all day is sit on their Obama phones and put bees all over my Instagram. But somehow I'm the one that needs an education and needs something better to do with my life than go after Beyonce. But of course, you can't point out the hypocrisy of these groups because then you'll be labeled a racist and a bigot because you can't speak out against anybody else, you know, white people are the only people you can legally discriminate against in this country. Yeah. And I hate even having this conversation where I feel like I need to have a disclaimer in front of it. But when Charlemagne was on and you're talking to him, uh, he said, he made an interesting point. He's like, you know, if you, it's a cancer rally, you don't go and start talking about AIDS or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, what kind of rally is the Super Bowl? Like, what are we there for? Is it a black power rally? Because if it's not, then you're making an excellent point, Charlemagne, Charlemagne. Yeah. And, uh, Really, in the words of Eric Holder, if we're not going to be a nation of cowards and not talk about race, then that's the conversation we should have. Like, what's the point of the Super Bowl? Anyway. Well, exactly. And what I said is people like, well, you know, Beyonce, she can sing about whatever she wants to sing about in her music video. And I said, again, I don't take issue with her music video. If she wants to show a little black kid in front of a sign that says, please stop shooting us. That is her every right. That is her album. People will go out to buy it. Don't use a Super Bowl halftime show to push your political agenda because there are people that are watching that are doing it to watch for entertainment value and there are black fans and white fans that come together in a sporting event, probably one of the most unifying events in the country. And she had to make it about victimization and Black Lives Matter more and I thought it was inappropriate. Great. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy had a CD out when I was a teenager years ago about marriage. And he talked about how if TV was smart, they would put subliminal messaging in their actual programming and not commercials. And he was doing a play by play of a baseball game where he's like, yo, Greg Maddox looking really good tonight. And gentlemen, if you haven't told your lady she's looking good, you should probably do that. You got a reminder, she's looking good to you. I'm like, that's, and it was funny at the time. And I'm like, that's kind of what ESPN does now. And that's kind of what they do with these productions where I'm thinking, how many people are watching this going, 
what is Beyonce doing? And it doesn't even occur to them. They're kind of at the same level as the people in her performance about what the message is she's really sharing. Like they're both on each side of the spectrum. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Well, they slip this in and it's not just entertainment events, it's the news as well. I've said this before, the the neutral media or so they claim to be like your ABC and your CNN that, that pride themselves in being middle of the road. They're not MSNBC, they're not Fox News, they are the neutral mainstream media. They're neutral in the way that they're, like you said, they don't come right out and hit you with their bias. They do it slowly and steadily so that you change your mind and your opinions, but they don't toss it at you that way. For example, they'll talk about Sandy Hook and they'll spend most of their broadcast talking about the kind of weapon that was used. They'll talk about where they got the weapon and they will demonize the gun so much and they'll tell you everything about that gun so that you leave that production, that show, thinking about the gun and blaming the gun. And so even though they didn't come right out and say it's the gun's fault, most people that aren't educated on politics or they're not self-aware, they're gonna blame the gun and they just do it in those, those little ways so that the people that are not paying attention, they're, they're influenced without even knowing it. No, it's true. Like, as far as being absurd, I remember after 9-11 thinking, no, the years after, maybe just last week I was thinking this, I really don't remember. But I'm like, why didn't we hear more about this, the planes that flew into the towers? Like, I want to know where they came from. I want to know who made them. I want to know who sold them to the companies that fly them. I want to know what kind of gas they had in them. Like, they caused lots of deaths, and it's irresponsible that we don't know more about them. But of course, it's absurd. And since everyone uses planes and they're not like, Maybe they are inherently afraid of them. I just, I think about that all the time. Like all the ways that you can die, guns are the one where we just really have to make sure that nobody can have one, except for people who are protected by people who have them. Well, that's the best thing too, is that Obama tells us that, you know, you don't need a gun, that these people, these rednecks, they cling on to their guns and their faith. And it's like, you say that. Meanwhile, you are surrounded by people with guns, but you believe that you should have that protection and that we shouldn't. Another contradiction that I love to hear as well is we've got, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement that demonizes police officers. But yet those same people that demonize police officers tell us that police officers should be the only ones that should carry guns. So you don't trust the police, but they're the only ones that should be armed. So their narrative, they never quite makes sense when you string it all together. You know, you, it's a good point. There was a gentleman I was listening to who, who wrote an article talking about how he lived during the Black Panther times. He remembers those conversations in those days. And he goes, that was 50 years ago. So it would be like me seeing the Super Bowl at that time, having Beyonce do a performance about women's suffrage or maybe like the pro-nationalism before the First World War. It's like, that's how far back we went. Because it makes you wonder what's gonna, what we're going to see at the Super Bowl in 50 years, assuming the NFL survives that long, which it probably won't. But uh, in 50 years from now, what are we going to be talking about? Are they going to be heralding the Black Lives Matter movement and how they were also just really supportive of black people and advancing the cause, even though statistically the cause is moving in the wrong direction in terms of economic lifestyle and opportunities and advancement and things like that? I thought it's an interesting point. Like, What are we going to have to be subjected to at halftime shows 50 years from now? Well, and of course, half of it is the ratings. We know that people will tune in because they're looking to have some controversy. I think we started with you know Janet Jackson, of course, with the nip slip before, and now every year it's just got to be something more bold. We had to tune into the Grammys to see Kendrick Lamar and his performance. Now everyone's going to be watching the Oscars because apparently the Oscars are so white, so we want to know what the host, Chris Rock, is going to say. Everything is about driving these ratings and continuing to advance this message. But you bring up the Black Lives Matter movement, which I think is a very important conversation to be had in this country because I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement has gone in such a direction that it's become 
dangerous. We're seeing the Ferguson effect. We're seeing depolicing happening because of the Black Lives Matter movement, because of the demonization of police. And it's only going to get worse. Uh, I said it on my show yesterday, exactly what's going to happen is that police are going to be so afraid to do their jobs that they're not going to go into black communities and protect them. And then pretty soon, those communities are going to have a higher crime rate. And then years from now, they're going to turn back and say that the police are neglecting black communities because they're black. So any way you turn it, their narrative of racism is going to play right into their agenda. Yeah, it's turned into climate. It's called, uh, it's like the black equivalent of climate change, right? Like you just climate you can't, change, or as I call it, weather. But yes. Yeah, you can't do enough, and you can't fix it. So you right. just you're screwed either way. Um, I saw on Twitter that you had done an episode. I didn't actually mean to start off with like the hard hitting. Black Panther stuff, but I saw that you did a show about it. What else kind of came out? That's the thing. I've talked to people and we've gotten into it and we have that civilized dialogue. I'm like, if you look at the organizations that exist today that, like, let's say they take money from, they embezzle money from the state of California and use it to do criminal activity, like, those still exist. We just don't glorify them, right? And that's what we do with Black Panthers because they were for the right people. They were helping the right people. What else kind of came out on your special? Because I hadn't seen it yet. Well, what we, we discussed is what PBS essentially did was they whitewashed the Black Panthers and they didn't discuss the dark spots. But also, I think it's important to bring up the fact that there were some good works that they did, but the mafia, which we talked about in my segment yesterday, the mafia also did those things. It's also community improvement. Al-Qaeda does the same thing. They also work in their communities. That doesn't make them a great organization. That doesn't make them an organization we should emulate. Just because they provide some social and community services does not mean that all the bad things that they do are somehow discounted, or in this case of PBS, just completely ignored altogether. And that's kind of what we t discussed yesterday. At the end of the PBS special, you were ready to go out and buy Thin Mints from the Black Panthers because they made them out to be Girl Scouts. And they didn't show the, the rampant sexism. They didn't show the violence. They didn't show what happened to the detractors. They didn't show the anti-police sentiment. And they didn't show the also glorification of communism and Stalin and, and uh, other things there as well. That They just glossed over those, didn't mention them, dismissed them. And the same people that were in that PBS special are now out as professors indoctrinating youth, which is the scariest part of the whole thing. They're rewriting history. They're effectively rewriting their history to benefit them and their cause. Yeah, you get the, the halo effect with guys like El Chapo or Pablo Escobar or Planned Parenthood for that matter. I mean, even Donald Trump has said, you know, they do a lot of good except that 90% of the time they're helping people terminate their offspring. But, you know, the rest of the time, it's, it's a great place to hang out. Um, so here's the deal. You're new on the scene. You're still in your early 20s. I don't usually do like the Barack Obama, you know, exclusive election coverage where I ask you about things that you just like in your regular life because then you could run for the Democratic nomination. <laughs> but I am curious. So, like, for people who don't know you that well, you've only been out of college a couple of years. So let's find out a little bit more about Tommy. All right. You're on a desert island. You can only take one... Uh, you can't have CDs anymore, one album or a couple songs. Like, what's what are you taking with you? I'm a big fan of Florida Georgia Line, so I'm very weird in that way. Many people don't know this about me. I said it in my final thoughts the other day. Country music and then, like, gangster rap. Those are my two sides that I really enjoy. Few people would know, people don't understand it, but if there's a song that plays, and it, it's actually, I point out people's inherent racism because if a song's playing, I will be the one that goes up to the DJ and asks for the most ratchet, like gangster rap, and it'll play, and then everyone thinks that it's the black people in the room, but it's actually me, and I know every word, and people look at me, and, and they're, they don't know quite how to handle me, but I like to be an anomaly, and I don't really fit into anybody's box in that way. So that's just one thing that few people would, you know, care to even learn about me, especially those people that are putting bees all over my Instagram. <sighs> the bee squad. All right. So number two, you go to the movies. What kind of candy do you buy? 
Okay, I love candy, so I have such a sweet tooth. It's actually a really big problem. They're one of my producers actually yeah. had jelly beans earlier, like the Starburst jelly beans and anything sour. I can honestly, I can, it doesn't matter how full I am, there's always room for candy. If I have a bag of candy, I'll eat the entire thing because my mind will continually obsess over it. I have it's, such a sweet tooth. It's expensive to go combo pack on candy at the movies. Do you bring it with you or do you buy it at the counter? Do you go to Walgreens you know, and grab the box? I support competition set? in capitalism, which is why I probably go to Target beforehand <laughs> and you know get my candy there because I, that's just being a frugal conservative as well as appreciating the free market system in which I'm probably not going to pay $10 for a bag of you know Skittles or a box of Milk Duds, but that's just the frugal conservative in me. What's a You're flipping channels and a movie comes on and no matter where where it is in the movie or what you're doing, you watch it to the end. That's difficult because I like so many movies and I will rewatch movies time and time and time again because if they're a feel-good movie and I'm not feeling great, I will watch them. Um, I would say the movies that I really love to watch are your American Snipers. I love 13 Hours. I love military movies, Hurt Locker, things like that I find very intriguing. But I'm not as much of a movie watcher as I am a TV junkie and okay. I love reality TV because I think it's comical. I think we can learn from the way people interact with each other. And I like the unscripted, at least somewhat unscripted element of it. So most people would probably be shocked to find out that some of my favorite shows are The Real Housewives of wherever. All right, so I was gonna say, so pick a show that you never miss. What, what would it be? Would it be Real, Real Housewives? Housewives? I mean, I will watch Real Housewives and I'll watch them over and over again and I will turn them back and watch them because I like to watch people interact with each other. I like to watch people in their insane lives and I like to watch people with their, their biggest obstacle in life is planning a party and they're so exhausted to plan the party and I watch the Housewives of Beverly Hills say, you know, ah, this has just been stressing me out because I have to plan this party and I'm thinking, there we go. Those are the real stresses. It's the same people that are attacking you for criticizing Beyonce, by the way, but that's just how life works, I guess. Well, I mean, I think that there's a very different group, but I, I mean, speaking of that as well, you know, we had Will and Jada Pickett-Smith come out and say how black people just can't get a fair shake in Hollywood, and then we pan over their large estate, and I can't help but feel sorry for them because they look like they're really in plight right now. <laughs> But again, we can't bring that up. Yeah, Hollywood's... Fight, so we can't talk about the it. The Oscars are interesting. Like this whole Chris Rock thing because the Oscars, apparent, I mean, Hollywood's screwed up. We know that. But the Oscars are still one of those places where it's partly, who do you know, the good old boys club, but like professional sports and like other the other remaining meritocracies in American capitalism, you still have to kind of deliver the goods in Hollywood to win an Oscar. I mean, I realize there's some movies that nobody ever sees that wins, but they're... <sighs> I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble here. They're just movies that who, what, what movies and actors are going to start running the place if they get their way at the Oscars and they take over and it's a watershed moment as we're hearing, they still have to have movies that people either have seen or want to see where are they? I, I don't know what the solution is there. What is it? Well, I think that what they're doing now, they want to bring in all this diversity. I don't know what are we how are going to have a movie quota now? Will that make them feel better? Yeah, is and the I'm club from like, Twitter going to come over and like quit running Twitter and they're going to start coming over to Hollywood? Is that what's going to happen? It may very well be, but I always like to remind people that keep saying that, you know, the Oscars are so white and it's so unfair. And then I point to the fact that the host, who is undoubtedly going to get more camera time and probably is going to make more money than anybody there, is black, the producer. And also the president of the Academy is also black. And then the rest of the people that are voting on these things, those are screenwriters, they're actors, they're directors, they're industry professionals. Don't tell me that any of those industry professionals in liberal Hollywood are Republicans. I tend to think not. 
So if they have a problem with it, they should go talk to the white Hollywood liberals and uh, leave us Republicans out of it because it's really not our problem. Yeah, it's kind of like the issue Barack Obama had when it came out a few months ago that the stats for every single category of essentially black day-to-day life are down since he got in. And that's when you kind of have that moment of like, this is what it's really all about. Like that person cares about himself, doesn't really care that much about these areas of improvement because they haven't improved. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. Maybe Hollywood's the same way. Because you can't sit there and talk and then expect things to get better because that's the thing that the liberals love to do is they think that if they promise you a lot of free things that somehow things are going to get better. But they just sound good. It doesn't actually come to fruition because that's not possible. Somebody has to pay for these things. But he thinks that going up and talking about Trayvon Martin and shedding a tear for gun violence, he thinks that somehow that that's going to help people in their situation. It might make them feel good for a minute because we know the liberals operate off of feelings anyway. But when you put, you know, you go to the real issue and you actually have to see how it's affecting people in their everyday lives, you're right. Nothing's changed. It's getting worse. So when you started out, I mean, you're, you've got this gig. Are you 24, 25, 23? 23. Don't age me. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, 25 is like a safe number. You know when you think a woman's pregnant, but you know not to say anything? Like for women, 25 is just kind of a safe zone. But what do I know? I've been married long, out of the game forever. <laughs> um, so when did you become conservative? Or like I'm fascinated by people who become conservative at a later age. I didn't. And they always talk about how that's a natural transition as you age and you mature and you have kids and you pay taxes. But I kind of was that way from the start. What about you? How did you start out? I've always been conservative. And I'll say this. Most people say, well, you know, you grew up in South Dakota and your parents were probably conservative. So they just ushered you into that. And I'll say, yes, my my parents do vote Republican. I, I will say that. That's very true. My parents are far less political than I am and always have been. It's one of those things where I just don't like to be lied to. So when I'd watch the news when I was young and I would hear folks like Diane Sawyer and others telling me how, what an assault rifle is and I would hear them telling me what life was like on the reservation which I lived near and I would hear them tell me about how life is not fair for certain people and certain people are victims, I would sit there and go, you know what, that's BS. That's not true. You're saying it from your lens which is incredibly limited and I, I didn't like it. So I think that uh, the values of conservatism, you don't have to be raised by conservative parents to understand it. You just have to listen and pay attention. And you have to think to yourself, do I want to keep more of my money? Yes. Do I want the government to stay out of my life? Yes. Do I want to be able to advance and have my hard work pay off? Yes. Well, you're inherently a conservative, so welcome to the club. Oh, and by the way, before I move on with this line of discussion, we mentioned reality TV. I just want to say my favorite shows are Shark Tank and The Prophet. And when okay. you mention The Real Housewives, have you seen The Prophet? Do you know who Marcus Lemonis is? I haven't seen The Prophet, but I do watch Shark Tank. That's okay. one I do watch. So Marcus has a show like that where he goes on and invests the money on the spot and he spends the rest of the hour fixing their business for him. And his show is the number one show on CNBC, uh, obviously, because the debate debacle. So. Not a lot of upside there, but his show was co-created by the person who made um, Patty's show, which I'm sure you've seen before. It's called um, The Millionaire Matchmaker. Oh, I love The Millionaire Matchmaker. Yes, I'm a Bravo junkie, so. Isn't that wild? And they're making a new Apprentice-style show called The Partner, where Marcus does like the Donald Trump thing, except he says, I'm hiring someone. I don't belittle people. Like his whole thing is people process and product. Like he brings people in, he pays them more, he treats them really well. But I always thought that was weird. She went from Millionaire Matchmaker to The Profit, which is just like Shark Tank. It's really popular for business people. 
Well, about. hey, everybody likes to make money, right? I think everyone in this industry, they're savvy. And I, I happen to know my producer, a few people will ever probably see my producer, but uh, I would love to bring her on and show her because I'm all about showing like the members of my team. Where is she? But Jessica, who actually brought me the computer that has audio on, I'm in here alone now. Okay. She's like, see, I'm going to leave. It's five o'clock. Bye-bye. But um, she actually comes from a background of, she worked on Oprah for three seasons. She worked and started TMZ Live. So she gets this industry probably better than anyone else. And she knows all these famous celebrities and she drops names to me sometimes like it's no big deal. And I'm sitting here thinking, "Um, you know him, you know them, you have that person's phone number. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking, oh, and the best part, she's 30. So I like to keep, you know, young, young women around me, young, smart, driven women. I used to like doing that too, but I found the right one. So I cut that (laughs) off. Uh, So 30, I've heard TMZ is like their reports right? Unverified reports that it's a pretty tough place to work for young women. But I don't know if those are complaints and sour grapes or if Harvey's just a jerk. It's fun to watch though. So. Well, she has good things to say about TMZ. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, if you're going to go into an industry like media, which you and I both know, and you're going to have a thin skin, you're going to cry. Guess what? I've had hard days as well. And if I have a hard day, I get in my car, I drive home, I listen to some Taylor Swift and I get over it. I don't sit here and cry and say like how horrible my life is because I'm a woman and because a man yelled at me. I don't do it at work because I think that, you know, don't make yourself a victim. I I say that to everybody. It's not just Black Lives Matter. It's not, you know, the the LGBT community. It's not women, the feminists. Stop being a victim. You're not a victim. Stop. You're not. There are real victims in this world. Survivors of the Holocaust, you know, back slavery. Those were victims. We are not victims. We are not victims on our iPhones and in heated and air conditioned and driving around in vehicles. We're not, we're not victims. Yeah. The the truth is we're the luckiest people that ever lived, but that's just our difference of opinion and perspective, I suppose. And I think we've all been there. Like I know all the men watching this are thinking they're nodding their heads going, yeah, I've cried on the way home, stuffing my face with Andy mints while Taylor Swift was blasting. I've, I've definitely <laughs> done that. Um, so I have a question for you. All is right. this going to get Trump elected? Is this going to be it? Cause I think everyone I'll who saw this thought Hillary as president, well, you know, Donald Trump says a lot of things that are probably never going to happen, but in his mind, they sound fantastic. And to his supporters, they sound fantastic. So, I mean, if he's going to go from inviting Hillary to his wedding to prosecuting her, good right. for yeah, but so He's I, also going to go after Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz as well because he doesn't think that they're citizens. So, what, you know, and, all, and I've talked to people who are total... Uh, I'm not, I'm a Trumpophobic or Trumpophiliacs. And I'm okay. saying, look, I get it. Like they see this and all logic and reason goes out the window and they say, this is what I want. This is like the ring, right? <laughs> you can't throw it in Mount Doom because this is the only thing you care about. Like someone's actually going to prosecute Hillary. All right, I'm on board. So what if everything else is a lie? Um, so let's talk about this division in the conservative party, because I know I saw that you said you're a Rubio fan. Yep. I know you're working at the Blaze and Glenn's out there telling everyone not to eat. So uh, for Cruz, I don't know if that causes any uh, collisions in the office or not. But the thing about I hate as much as I hate talking about Trump because that's all anyone ever does. What is going on with evangelicals? I saw a headline that Cruz, Ted Cruz, underestimated or misunderstood his support among evangelicals. I'm like, I think what happened in South Carolina has less to do with the candidates and a lot more to do with this voting block that they refer to as evangelicals, which is obviously misdefined. Like what's going on? What's your opinion? Just, 
I, I'm tired of people talking about certain segments of the Republican Party and just that vote because yes, the evangelical Christians, but I don't like to be put in a box like that. And you know, they do it with millennials all the time. It's like, well, you know, you have to do this to get the millennial vote. You have to do this to get the evangelical vote. And that I think that that's belittling and I think it's insulting to people that are in those groups that we can only think on one issue. I don't think that the evangelicals are going to vote for Ted Cruz just because he leads with his faith and just the same way I don't think they're going to not vote for Donald Trump because he doesn't lead with his faith. I think that there are other things that are more important to them and I think for a lot of evangelicals the border is a big one. Um, also getting away from politicians that have polished talking points and that sound robotic. They're tired of it and so that's why they flock to Trump because he certainly has uh, not polished. He's I feel like, you know, there was an article that Bernie Sanders, the guy who did the Obama Hope poster, who apparently hasn't come full circle and learned what a mistake that was. Now he's jumped on the Bernie train. He made that new logo that looks kind of like a, you know, Che Guevara coat of arms. And uh, I thought to myself, they should actually hire him to do Trump's and they should shape it like truck nuts. Isn't Trump the political equivalent of truck nuts? Like a <laughs> solid gold truck nuts? That's what that would be. That would be special. I mean, you can always pitch that idea. Um, nothing would surprise me at this point. Nothing. Um, so anyway, with my thing is like, I look at, they always talk about certain voting blocks and the one on the left that confuses me is the Jewish block. Right. And I look at them as secular Jews who consistently vote against the, not their own interests, but against the interests of the cultural group with which they supposedly adhere. And now I look at evangelicals and if you're not a Trump fan or you like, uh, Matt Walsh wrote that article about the solution to people like Trump is now Trump. I thought that was a really interesting way that he described it. If, tr if you've ever been angry about an issue, Trump has taken both sides of that issue. So that's right. the guy you want to fix it. And I look at this and say, is this evangelicals who like, who go to church? Is it even, there are the evangelicals because they read their scriptures, are the evangelicals because their parents are like, how do you even define that anymore? If they're willing to vote for people on completely opposite ends of the spectrum, like you see with other religious groups on the left, like Jews. Are evangelicals the new Jews? I, I have, you know, I, I really don't know, but I think that this has played up so much right now in, in preseason, in primary time. We talk about the evangelical vote, but you know what? When it comes to a general election, I just don't think we're going to be so hyper-focused on that group. I think it's just going to be more about broad appeal and trying to get those narrowly tailored groups. That's what the Democrats do. The Democrats pander to certain groups. That's not something I like to see the Republicans do. I don't like to see the pandering. I don't like to see the, the messages so tailored. And, you know, I like Ted Cruz. I really do. When he goes out and talks to a group of Christians and he gets all preacher and pastor-like, I think that there's a lot of people that are turned off by that. They just don't want faith to be ramrodded down their throats. And I think even the evangelicals, they're a diverse group of people. You might believe in God, but you might that might not be the only thing you think about all day long, every day. That might not be the only issue that consumes your mind. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, they're still a lot more cohesive than when they talk about getting millennials. I'm like, that's hilarious. How do you get millennials? Like, you do it with free Xbox subscriptions. You do it with Bernie Sanders t-shirts. You do it with free college. Like, that's... That's a tough sell to me. So I have this question about uh, the whole Ted Cruz, Glenn Beck, Rubio thing. I kind of sympathize for Glenn Beck. I loved him on Fox. I don't, uh, it's weird. Some things have kind of changed. I was talking to my buddy who's kind of more crypto agnostic, I call him, because he's just all over the place. And he says, you know, I said, Glenn Beck, if you go on websites, he has got to be one of the most hated men in America. Has to be he'll make a really good point. And then they'll just, I mean, they hate that he's Mormon. They hate that he's giving teddy bears to kids at the border. 
And he said, yeah, the left, he's the, like the anti-God. I'm like, no, I'm talking about like the people at Breitbart. I'm talking about the people supposedly on our side that are so torn up about some of the things he does. But yet if we were all together, the Christian voting bloc would never lose an election, despite some of the slimy stuff that maybe Hillary would do. We'd, in numbers wise, we'd never lose. So why do we consistently lose? Is that a conversation you guys have at Blaze HQ every now and then? It's you know, frustrating honestly, to me. I really separate myself because, like I said, I think very differently. I think that the thing about conservatives is you really can't lump us all into one group because you've got conservatives, you've got more like establishment Republicans, and then, of course, you know they call us rhinos. But I'm one of those people that I, I really do believe I'm not libertarian, but I, we're so free thinking. The thing about the Democrats is they all fall in line. So no matter what, they're going to fall in line. No matter if they believe that Hillary is a liar and Bernie is a socialist, they are going to fall in line. Conservatives don't do that. And I think that's actually one of the things that makes us great is that we can be critical of each other. We take it too far sometimes, but we can be critical of each other. We can say, hey, you know, eh, step back in line or we can we can have differing opinions. That's what makes us different from the Democrats. And unfortunately, it's something that makes us lose I don't know, though. I don't know if I would um, do the thing the Democrats do and just all fall in lockstep with one person and one ideology and one direction for the party, because I think there are too many voices here to silence the, the ones that are on the fringe. Yeah, like with Rubio, my only beef was the Gang of Eight thing. Like, I look at that and how he had to step back from it and go, you know what? Either he knew better and he didn't care or he didn't know better. Which one is it? And every candidate has those issues. But then I think... Am I a lefty who's just going to vote for whoever's there or am I on the right and I'm going to try to make sure that we don't get our butts kicked somehow? And does that mean holding my nose and voting for a guy who's not my favorite? And that's to me, my wife is like, she'll throw her shoes at the TV. She gets a little worked up. She watched Fox News the day that it launched when she was like 14 years old. And she was so ticked off during South Carolina. I'm like, your problem is not like the results. It's your expectations. Like we get the leaders we deserve. We, people don't know really what they're voting for until after they vote for it. They make mistakes. I mean, there was a study that came out that I think 13% or 14% of the people who voted that day didn't even have their mind made up the morning they woke up. Like, mm -hmm. this is just how it works. So I don't know. Do you even, do you just switch off after you're done talking or does this stuff actually bother you? Like when you go home and you're laying in bed going, why are people so stupid? Like my wife hums in this. Well, you know what? Honestly, right I dream about work constantly, but I dream more about, I, I went through a period of time last year where I dreamed about Iran almost every single night. And then before that, it was the Israel-Palestinian conflict. I would dream about that nonstop. So I bring all these things. They just, they don't leave my mind. It doesn't matter. I will dream about them constantly. The debates, they replay in my mind all night long. That's why I watch reality TV, to be honest with you, because I have to have an escape from politics. But it doesn't bother me that people are so stupid because I take that as an opportunity. I say, okay, there's a reason. They're well-meaning morons. They're a well-meaning moron. That's what I call people that want to vote for Bernie Sanders. I call them well-meaning morons because that's what they are. They either they are, you know, dumb or they just can't stand Hillary. So either way, I really can't fault these people. They're not malicious. They're not bad people. They're just not very intelligent or they're just, you know, they've got their blinders on. So, yeah, it's sad that people are voting with their, their ears instead of their brains. You know, they're listening to something and they're swayed so easily. But that's why it's the jobs of people like you and I to bring these issues to the forefront and do it in a way that's fun, that's comical, that can be broken up into sound bites so it's easy, easily consumed. That's our job and that's why we have jobs, I think. So if people were incredible intellect and, you know, they always voted robotically, then we would be out of a job. That's a good point. It's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought it up because I'm actually curious about your outlook on, you know, your trajectory now, because you've done something at 23, 23, that it takes a lot of 
men and women, guys and gals, until they're, you know, late 30s, 40s, 50s, you're a pundit on one of the biggest networks in the nation. I don't even know what pundit means. It kind of sounds bad sometimes when I say it. But you're, you're the head and shoulders. You're the spokesperson. You probably didn't expect to get there this soon. So, like, what does the path look like? So tell me how you made it here. I know you went to One American News Network as an intern. They said, hey, you know what would be even better than an intern? That stage is yours. Like, you can just start recording mm-hmm. and doing shows. So tell me about how you got there, coming onto the blaze, and then eventually, depending on how long it takes to describe it, you know, where you go from here. Well, first of all, I think that the funniest thing about my path is that before I graduated college, I was looking for internships, and my one of the first places I reached out to was uh, right here in this building, the blaze, and they denied me an internship. Why? They chose someone else. They sent me a form letter like, sorry, like your qualifications are great, but we chose someone else. Well, time out. Is that person still there? Like, have you made their life miserable? Oh, yeah. All, the, all these people are still, I think, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, they didn't pick me. I'm sure they picked, you know, somebody that knew somebody and was better connected than I. So they didn't pick me uh, to be an intern. So then after that, uh, I found One America, and they offered me a show. So I'm thinking, mm, I could have gone here and been an intern, or I could have started my own show. And they threw me in the water at One America, like, you have a show, go, make it. Make a pilot, go. So that's what I love to do, is I love to be in situations in which I can take full control and get it done. Um, was at One America, had a great run there. It was fantastic. Um, it was time to go. I mean, it was time to grow and mature, and it was time to take on new things. And I wasn't going to get any better there because I was in San Diego, which I love. But it just yeah. it was it was stunting a little bit, a little bit stunting because I was doing that show and I kind of topped out at what I could do there. So then I took were on. Were you the shopping things. opportunities, or were the opportunities coming to you after a year? They were coming to me after I went viral. Okay. I mean, that my name kind of got out there, and people knew who I was for the first time. I went on Fox a couple times. I was on Nightline. Uh, I did Dr. Drew. I was doing some other things. So there was you know, some things coming my way, but I really wanted to stay independent. Uh, I wanted to have my own voice. I didn't want to fall into that line because it's too early, and people say like, "Oh, well, you know, don't you eventually want to end up somewhere like Fox News or the mainstream?" Yeah, maybe. But if I would have gone there at 23 years old, I wouldn't have been given the creative control that I have here. Let's talk about. They wouldn't trust me with it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, what's uh, what's for people who are just curious behind the scenes, working with the Blaze, how it came together, kind of run us through uh, the process. Well, I moved here. I came to Dallas and I picked up my life just like I did when I moved from Las Vegas to San Diego. And I picked up from San Diego and I moved to Dallas and we started the show and it took longer than I would have liked. But there were some you know, internal shakeups here and there were some things that were growing and changing and finally got the show up and running, got the letters all in and in place. And I write my whole show. Um, Jessica's my producer and her and I really bang all this stuff out and she books for me and we bring ideas together and we just make it happen and it was her idea to bring Charlemagne on I said you know hey we should try to get him she reached out we got him on we're trying to do things a little bit differently we're trying to change the game and people are getting tired of the one hour nightly talk show format it's great I love doing it but it's about the money is and the real success comes when you can take those and you can move them onto movable platforms, which is like social media, Facebook, YouTube. Get them out there. Make them condensed. Bring in, that's where final thoughts, you know, that's what I'm most known for. And I love that. So I have no idea. If you would have told me I would have been in Dallas a year ago, I would have said you were crazy because I was having a great time in Pacific Beach, San Diego. Yeah, but sure. 
here we are. We're in Texas. We're in Las Colinas now. But don't tell the beehive because they have been trying to figure out where I live for a while now. <laughs> I won't say a word. I'm, I am curious about the future. Like I've been watching this thing that Shapiro and Milo are doing where they go to these college universities. I think that is like the coolest thing that they could do. In fact, I would someday I'd like to get involved with something like that because I think that's where that's trench warfare. Like that's where it's happening. And the, to get them to see the university professors shutting them down for these specious reasons, I think that's probably where they're going to make the biggest impact because those kids are still so fragile and vulnerable and basically mm -hmm. brainwashed. And uh, so I wonder for you, like the ideas in terms of getting to write your own show. I've always wondered, like, I thought Charlemagne was great. Bring on people who you know don't like you, don't agree with you, won't want to talk about what your talking points are, et cetera. And just, just well, you were nice and kind, but I would destroy them. Like, let's, let's take the conversations I'm having with people who hate everything about me and let's bring them in and let's, let's see who's got the better argument. Right. Well, that's what I think, too. And at the end of the day, I can bring people on my show. We can respectfully disagree. We can have a great heated debate. And then I can text them afterwards and be like, hey, we disagreed. But I had a good time. Thanks for coming on. And, and that's where I think that we have these good conversations. It makes for good TV. It allows us to have differing opinions. And you know what? There's going to be people that no matter what would have come out of my mouth, they were going to side with Charlemagne. The end of the day, that's what that's it is. And there are people on my side that no matter what came out of Charlemagne's mouth, they were going to side with me because that's where their minds were. But then there is a great cross-section of people who are going to listen to that and they're going to form their own opinions. And I'm happy that I can be a part of that. In terms of creating your own show, um, how far ahead are you? Like how prepared, how organized? Do you Are there ever times where it's an hour to go time? You're like, you know what? I'm just going to Larry King this. Like I'm going to go out there and just whatever comes up, that's what we're talking about. I know that doesn't really happen, but Larry yeah. King made a career out of that for like 40 years. Right. Like, well, here we yeah. are. Um, I have my segments. I know who I'm going to be talking to. I know the topic. I do some talking points. But to be honest with you, I research everything because it, it was something, if I want to do a segment, it's because I've already researched it. It's because it's already caught my attention. So I do the work behind it. I don't just go on and just run my mouth. But when I get out there, my segments, they go where, where they go. I mean, there are oftentimes where there's a few things that I wanted to hit, I want to discuss, and it goes in a completely opposite direction. And that's, that's fine with me. I like to keep it loose. I like to keep it informal. I like to just speak the way that I talk. I, I don't like to have the overly rehearsed, overly produced segments where totally. I just come in and someone hands me a piece of paper and says, Tommy, you're going to talk about this today. That will never happen with me because I don't talk about things that are not interesting to me. So sometimes I just did a speech in Colorado this week where they're like, you're going to do a 10 minute speech. And I got up there and I was like, all right, well, let's do this. 10 minutes. Here we go. And everybody else had their little like, note cards and they were ready to go. And you can tell they've been rehearsing it in front of the bathroom mirror for days. And I was like, you know what? This is what I do. I talk to people. And those people are the ones that people fall asleep because they don't want to hear you talking off of your PowerPoint. They just want to hear you be real. So why can't we do that more often? This is the kind of thing that I enjoy doing. Uh, totally. And I, and I actually, I think this is a hard question to answer, but it's something I think about all the time. Like in 10 years, younger people aren't really listening to talk radio. They're listening to podcasts. They're on YouTube. They're on social media. They don't watch TV news. They don't read newspapers. I always wonder like in 10 years from now, what are people our age? How are they going to be consuming this content? Is it going to be on independent networks like the blaze? Is it going to be on YouTube or whatever replaces it? And that's what I'm interested in because I think what people like you and Ben and my, like I mentioned, are doing are actually getting in their face with unscripted truth. That's the most effective thing. And for like you just said, it's also the most fun, by the way. Mm -hmm. So what do you think I that wonder. looks like? I think online is going to be primarily that's where people are going to go. They're going to share things and they're going to watch things and their friends and they're going to talk about it. And it's going to be things that are hot button issues that they're going to either watch you because they disagree with you and they want to rip you to shreds or they're going to watch you because they're like, yes, that's what I'm thinking. 
So those kind of things that we can easily dissect and have the conversations, I really think that people are going to be tuning in in this much smaller, shorter format. And they're going to ingest it. Um, people love to go and watch things at their leisure. And I think that on the phone is going to be where we're headed right now. You can flip your phone and, and uh, watch it that way. That's how people are going to watch TV. It seems like you really enjoy your job, but isn't this the best job on the planet? Getting paid millions of dollars to look like that and lose elections. Can you beat that as a career? I mean, I guess it depends on what your life goals are. But you know, there are a lot of people that you look at their life and you think like, wow, wouldn't it be nice to get paid for doing nothing like the Kim Kardashians of the world? But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's fun to look at. I mean, those kind of things, if they can make you smile, that's, that's lovely. I saw this and I thought, I think Mike Murphy was the inspiration for this, um, the South Park like computer click guy at the World of Warcraft episode. That was awesome. Oh, and I, so I had another question. Sorry, picture. Um, you're getting a lot of death threats. You're getting people want to do you physical harm. Have you had to send like this guy out for house calls? Oh my to tear gosh. People up? If he knew, if he knew that that was up right now, he would kill me. Okay. Oh no, I did like the creepy stalker thing. I scratched you out. Like this guy, this is the, uh, this is the hot one in the relationship right here. When I do CrossFit, I'm putting this on the You know what? Actually, let's do something brilliant. Scoop right now. Can you hold that up again and let me take a picture of that? So yeah. That he knows that he, I'm sure that he will love this. You know, I'll do creeper face. Okay, I'll tell you this much. He cannot go anywhere um, in San Diego without getting loads and loads of crap for that. So <laughs> everywhere he, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that was a bright moment. Uh, we all make mistakes. Like some people vote for Obama, some people take the. Well, is this his fault or your fault? I mean, he took it, but he sent it to you, right? Did this he one sent Instagram? It to me and you know what? No one anticipated me to go viral. No one anticipated my Instagram to be stalked by the Daily Mail. But you know, now I'm a little bit more careful about those things. Yeah, yes. it's it's kind of like right up there with revenge soft porn, right? Like that's there what you that go. Is. Yeah, I mean. He, if he can never have another girlfriend now, because there's already been an article with me and you know him in there, so good luck. I, I feel sorry for the next girl. If there's a next girl, because it's like a, they've got to compete with a you know a Daily Mail article. Yeah, it's a digital signature tattoo, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't get well, it removed. Well, uh, Tommy, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed chatting with you. I think that my my main thing too is just getting a feel for the fact that when people say all these horrible things about you, I go on YouTube and I listen to the rebuttals. And they're terrible. And I actually was, I was thinking that there was this article that came out about two months ago. Did you hear this? Where they're, the gay lobby or whoever it is in charge of getting this done is trying to lift the bans on homosexuals donating blood. Did that oh, well, cross your great, radar? We know that those things should be a social experiment. You know, health, national security, uh, education, they should all be a social experiment because there's no way that there could be real world ramifications for something like that, right? I mean, it's always about feelings. It's not about reality yeah, anymore. This is my biggest thing is when you're an activist or an agitator, like for me, it's a total lack of empathy for the victims of the things that you propose. And so I saw this, I think it was in December. Um, and for me, it's the definition of progressive activism. It's AIDS equality. That was the headline. End of gay blood ban ends discrimination for gays that want to give blood with an asterisk that was in the article, however you do a finger asterisk, for people who are not actively engaged in homosexual lifestyle. So you can oh, give blood. I'm sure that they would be completely honest about that. And there's no way that we could, you know, have potentially harmful, deadly consequences. It's just, it's so sad the way that this is going. It's, I mean, there's it's distribution. That's what it is. Well, I mean, it's one thing if you want to have a gay pride rally and you want to, you know, kiss people on TV. I mean, whatever, that's benign. But this kind of thing, this affects people. This is a health concern, folks. 
Put your feelings aside. You know what? The world is not fair and you might not be able to donate blood, but guess what? At the end of the day, kind of your choice. It's my choice that I don't want to have, you know, blood that could possibly be infected. I'm, I, I'm at a loss for words. I really am. Yeah. AIDS coming to a blood bank near you. And when you get it, just make sure you know that someone's feelings were spared so that you could have autoimmune deficiency syndrome. There you uh, go. It's, it's a kind, it's a soft bigotry of progressive activism. Tommy, I uh, really enjoy your content. Hope you keep pumping it out and hope you stay strong against all the haters out there. And I'm really excited to see where you go. You know, not like you're leaving, but, you know, kind of like where this goes. I think a lot well, you know, more people. I'm 23, so I even have a couple of years from your best estimate of 25. So we'll see where we are. We'll see where we are at 33. Goodness. Safe estimate. That was a safe, no triggering. It's a safe word. <laughs> and, and, you know, okay, here's what's really funny. One of my favorite clips from the Internet to just play over and over again is Gavin McGinnis talking with a girl on the news about um, feminism and how she'd be happier with a hunk at home. Like, you know, like one of these, one of these guys. <laughs> oh, uh, God. Uh, but anyway, you're young enough that you don't actually have to put your career on hold. Like you could probably retire and right after the sunset, but like 27, 28, the rate you're going, is that the plan now? Or you can stick with it for a couple decades? I don't think I will ever stop. I don't like not working. I'm one of those people that, you know, really lives my values. I'm a conservative. I'm a Republican. I really would not be happy not working. And luckily I love my job and you know, you're kind of in the same boat as me as if you love what you do, I would be talking about this. I'm just getting paid to do it now. I sit there and I talk to the Uber driver about politics every time that I, you know, back in San Diego, I'd be like ready to go out and like go to the beach bars and I'd be in the Uber talking about politics. So it's just nicer to get paid for it. It's such hard work though. Like, do you go on liberal, I, we were supposed to be done, but I'm curious, do you go on like liberal blogs or I call them hate blogs, places where they just hate people like you and even, or YouTube. Do you mess with that at all or do you just abstain? Because it can well, you be know, so when draining. I look at it and their headline over my face is they spell, they mispronounce or misspell my name. It's like, it's like Tom Laren talks about Charlemagne. And I'm like, okay, well, you forgot, you know, my, they got my name wrong. Uh, it's Tommy. But, you know, that's the first indication that you really don't know what the hell you're doing. So after that, or when their grammar is just so bad, when they tell me, you know, I'm that racist cracker, I'm like, you know what? Take a seat. I'm okay. I still, remember, oh, I still remember being in Connecticut when the rental return guy was like, hey, how are you doing today? I'm like, good, good. How are you? And the rental return is like, he's taking the keys. It's not a long uh, verbal transaction. He goes, did you hear that Sarah Palin said she could see Russia from her house? I'm like, no, but I heard Obama said there were 57 states. He's like, he didn't say that. I'm like, <laughs> right? That's a good answer. Like, they're everywhere. It's like the walking dead. Well, thank the mainstream media, but luckily the mainstream media is probably going to die soon. So that's the fortunate thing is this, this kind of thing is what's going to be consumed. So we still have a voice. We're getting a stronger voice. I love it. Your voice is stronger. Thank you for breaking the internet. And thanks for, uh, I fasted so that you'd come on the show, which you did. So Ted Cruz is, not, no, I'm teasing. Uh, appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun. I'll see you later, TJ. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to the absolute unadulterated truth, courtesy of the Oh Hail Yeah Show. Want more? Hail yeah, you do. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the Young Cons podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And make sure to check us out online at youngcons.com slash podcast. Or chat us up on Twitter at RealTJHale.